0: I don't need extra help. <clears throat> All right. I'm just going to pray a little bit more. Holy Spirit, I just pray, would you help us to be good soil that your word falls into, that we would bear fruit. I'm asking that you would guide us into new things as, as you see our capacity is ready, Lord, to hear something new or to think something old in a new way that you would just lead us closer to the throne room of Jesus. We just thank you that he sent you. He said it in John 16, that he was sending you. So you would t- remind us of all the things that he said and, and lead us into new things as we could bear them. So we just really want you to do that this morning, Holy Spirit. Would you show us? Lord, uh, I'm just asking for everybody in this room. There's three things that would open a door for us to see you new and fresh. True. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the point of corporate worship, church, prayer meetings, it's not to satisfy the flesh. You wouldn't know that just looking around at the way churches try to attract people into church. You'd think it's all about you coming and getting what you were looking for that would make your life a little bit better or make your week feel a little bit better. But that's not the point of church or worship. Or corporate prayer meetings. It's not to satisfy the flesh. It's to retrain our hearts to operate in the order of heaven's government. That's the point of gathering together. And that's really clear, actually. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul lays out this doctrine super clear. That the whole point of gathering together into church is to learn order, to learn self-control, to learn to flow in a supernatural power much bigger than us, but in a way that we decide let the Holy Spirit put control on us. So that's the point of us gathering together even this morning. We're supposed to be learning how to flow together in order, not finding the thing that makes us feel the best. And this is why. Selfishness and holiness, they are completely incompatible. Self-centeredness and holiness are two completely different kingdoms. Who's holy? God. God is holy. That means he's holy other than everything that he made. He is the uncreated one. Everything else is created. So if something created comes near to the holy one and it's self-centered, that's a whole different kingdom trying to come into his kingdom. Whose kingdom is going to win? His. His kingdom. So selfishness and holiness are entirely incompatible. So we really need to learn to look at the gathering together of the people that want to be ready for heaven way different. It's not about Whether I come and the music feels good or the atmosphere feels good or I learned something or I said something or I walked in this new sphere of ministry, all those things come with the holiness of the Lord. But the whole point is to learn the order the government of God. If we learn the order and the government of God, then we won't mimic what it looks like to be a person who knows God. We'll actually be a person who knows God and he'll do much more through us than trying to act like people that know God, Okay. So once you start to see the reason David established the tabernacle, and, and what I just described is why it was for order, you either accept or you reject the nature of God's government. Now, that doesn't mean that you accept or reject church. It doesn't mean that you accept or reject the name of Jesus, like uh, it's saying that you're connected to Jesus. It means you either accept or reject the order or the government of God. You can go to church and reject the order of God. You can go to church and reject the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it happens all the time. So right now, hopefully, all of us in this room are like, I accept the order of God's government. When you do that, what he does is he starts to test you in it. He starts to help you see. It's just like going to school. You take a pretest to find out what you know and what you don't know. When you get tested by the Lord, it's to, it's to qualify you, not to disqualify you. It's to actually show you what you need to learn. And so as soon as we say yes to the order of God's government, he starts to test us and show us what we need to learn. If we reject that because we get offended, if we reject that because we get ashamed, then what happens is he stops leading us deeper and deeper into his government. So when we realize I've been rejecting the testing, we repent. We just say, this is, I mean, this is the story of Israel over and over and over. And Jesus' disciples and Paul and the writers of the New Testament, when they realize I'm rejecting this testing, they forgot what was behind them. And they started running their race again. So we're actually here to get tested and then to get trained into an entirely different order of doing things, okay? Now, God doesn't test those who reject his government. He tests those who accept it. This is why. He doesn't expect people who reject his government to be ordered. He doesn't expect people who completely reject his government to be anything but confused, delusional, and flying into hell. So he doesn't test them. They couldn't pass it anyway. He tests the people that want his government because he wants to qualify us into it. He doesn't force anyone into his government. He never will. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. But it won't be a volunt- It will always be a voluntary coming into his kingdom. So, all of even the demons recognized who Jesus was, but they weren't under his kingdom. They weren't operating in his kingdom. Okay. Now, item. Two, which is weird because it should be item one, the musical order of God's government. Today I'm talking about the, the governmental order of Antiphony. So last time I got a chance to speak a couple weeks ago, I was talking about Antiphony. I'm going to keep talking about Antiphony. Sam, what's antiphany? Back and, forth. back and forth, right. Opposing voices, great. So heaven operates in musical back and forth or antiphany because God is musical. And it's clear in the Bible, God is musical. Like, he, he enjoys music. He invented music. There was music before there was us. There was music before there was man. He, he, his government operates in antiphony because he's infinite. I want you to think about that for a second. He is, his government operates in back-and-forth voices simply because any one person couldn't possibly articulate who God is. It would actually take every created being ever, forever to even start to unfold an infinite being just by simple math. And one less than infinite is infinitely less. So the government of God is antiphonal because we're finite. So if we are willing to be like, okay, I'm finite. I see dimly is the way that it says it in First Corinthians 13. I actually want to hear what somebody else sees because I want to know God. But in the selfishness of man, the arrogance of man, we tend to think I know what I know about God, and anybody who says something that disrupts it is going to disrupt what I know about God. And we start to know God less, but arrogantly thinking we know God more because we don't hear anybody disagreeing with us. That's not the government of God. That's the government of Babylon. That God, Babylon has one language, one speech. We're all getting together. If anybody says something different, it's going to mess everything up. That's fear. That's weakness. If that's your relationship with God, if anybody tells you something true about God that you don't already know and that messes you up, then you don't really know God that well. Truth doesn't mind actually more information, okay? So the musical order of God's government. Heaven operates in musical antiphony because God is musical and infinite. Before there was man, there was order and music, both. There was both a government and music before God ever made man, okay? Job 34, 4 to 7. This is God actually questioning Job to qualify Job, not to disqualify Job. He, he asked Job these questions, not because he doesn't like Job, but because Job was more righteous. Than, and I just appreciate Steph was prophesying, actually the first part of my notes, and I'm assuming that she didn't even know that I was going to talk about Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, he was saying to Job, "Job, you weren't there. You weren't there when I ordered this whole thing. And actually, heaven was rejoicing in the way that I ordered it. Beings that see much more than you rejoiced that I ordered it this way. Who are you to say I'm doing something wrong or unjust? That's what he was saying. Not because he didn't like Job, because he liked Job, because Job was so righteous. Okay. Now, music and order." are the lines along which Satan rebelled. It's actually, these are the areas Satan rebelled in because these are sacred to God and they're very near to his throne. Satan, I just, if you read the the passages about this, Satan didn't really want to be cast out of God's kingdom. He wanted to rebel and stay in. He was trying to get something in the kingdom. God cast him out according to the passage in Ezekiel 28 that we're about to read. God cast him out of the holy mountain. Satan didn't want to be cast out. Satan just wanted to take more. So if you come to an order of God and you're like, I'm in. I just want to take more. We have to realize God will cast you out. He's actually gathering out of his kingdom all things that offend. And he's going to burn the tares with fire. And he's going to gather the weed into his barn. So we actually want to come to learn the order of God. Not to get more authority. Not to get more impact. Not to get more influence. More responsibility. We want to come to be ordered to actually be antiphonal, to say what we're supposed to say and then wait for somebody else to say what they're supposed to say. Humble, recognizing no one person is supposed to know everything. It'd be a lie. I mean, God's infinite. He's glorious. He's, the, infinite, the infinity of his beauty or the beauty of his holiness is the way it says in the Bible. No one person could articulate it, I guess is the best way for me to say. It. Okay, so Ezekiel 28, 13 to 15. Now, I just heard the Lord saying, I'm saying these things to qualify you, not to disqualify you. So God, we just repent where we've come into your meeting of people, ambitious. Wanting to, to grow instead of wanting to be ordered. Like wanting to grow impatiently in the flesh instead of wanting you to grow us. We just repent. In, it, in Jesus' name. He says these things to qualify us, not to disqualify us. He says this to Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, these are musical instruments, was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And then God goes on to describe how he cast Satan out of that place. Luke 4, 5 to 8. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who delivered it to Satan? Mankind. God, I mean, ultimately, God is always in authority, but he let man listen to Satan, eat the fruit in the garden, and then man was subject to a fall, to a separation. Satan wasn't lying. He was tempting. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, Satan, as well as the Antichrist, if you just look at the nature of these beings, they want more than just to be a king or to be a priest. They want both. They're not satisfied to be a political leader or a spiritual leader. Satan started as a spiritual leader. You know, he's a, a worship leader, but he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be a political leader. He wanted, to, he wanted the authority and government of God. The Antichrist starts as a political leader, but he's not okay just being a political leader. He wants to be worshipped as God. And this has happened several times in human history. Caesars weren't satisfied to be political leaders. They wanted to be worshipped. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't satisfied to be a political leader. He wanted to be worshipped. So we have to understand there's something in the heart of man that wants to take more but doesn't want to be cast out, just wants more. Does that describe you at all? I mean, I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about life. But Jesus didn't live like that at all, did he? Jesus was actually everything, and he's like, don't tell anyone, I just healed you. He gave the money box to Judas. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He actually didn't want more. He just wanted the Father. But will Jesus get more? Yes, he'll get everything. Because he submitted to the order of God's kingdom. In fact, he did not want to go to the cross. Remember, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, is there any other way? But I'll drink this cup if it's your will. And the father said, it's my will. And he said, okay, I'll drink the cup. And he gets the whole kingdom because he submitted to the order. That's in actually 1 Corinthians 15. It says that Jesus is actually ordering all of us underneath him. And then he's going to submit all of us to the father. And the father is going to reign over everything. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Everything that we're doing is about learning order. It's not about impacting the world. It's not about doing all the great things of God. Though those things are supposed to happen when we submit ourselves to the order of God. They're supposed to happen in the glory of God, not in the glory of man. Two way different things. Now, Satan and Christ aren't content to be a governmental authority or spiritual authority The cherub who covers. They, both, they want both, priest and king, impatiently to be like God. Now, interesting study is David. David was a king. He really wanted to be a Levite. Like he, if you look at what he did, the things he chose, he just kept spending all of his money and all of his time to make a place for Levites to be able to worship the Lord in a tabernacle that operated 24-7. David really wanted to be a priest and a king, but he stayed in the order of God. So we're about to read a psalm where it says, Psalm 22, 1 through 3, right there at the bottom, page 1. To the chief musician said to the deer of the dawn a psalm of David. David, an amazing musician who played his little guitar and demons fled, stayed in the order of God. He stayed in his kingly role and he gave songs to the musician. This is Antiphany. He wanted the order of God in Israel. Did it work? Yes. God came to Israel. Israel remembers David so well. That's why they, they're, they're longing for a Messiah like David. Jesus is like David. They just couldn't see how Jesus was walking in the order of God. They wanted him to come and break through everything they thought was bad, right? That's why they missed him. But Jesus didn't do that because he, just like Satan, tried to tempt him, come, break through, take it. Jesus like, no, I'm going to stay in the order of God. That's what we're called to by the Holy Spirit inside of us is to stay in our place until God decides to elevate the humble and to tear down the proud. He's going to do both. Okay, so Psalm 37 lays this out. It says, don't worry when the wicked prospers. Don't try to elevate yourself alongside the wicked. That's impatient. Just wait. God will make your righteousness rise like the noonday sun. If you're willing to stay in the order of God, if you're willing to trust God, he's never going to fail you. You just have to be patient and faithful. That's the whole point of your life. Now, Satan tried to tempt Jesus out of the order of the Father, impatience and doubt, By promising governmental authority in addition to his priestly role. See, Jesus was already operating on the earth in a priestly role in his earthly ministry. He was representing God to people. Was he in a governmental authority position? No. They resisted him in a governmental authority position. In fact, Pontius Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, why aren't you fighting? He says, if my kingdom were of this earth, I would fight. But it's not from here. We have to understand, Jesus is waiting for a governmental authority position. He is in authority over everything. He's waiting for the earth in faith right now. So when we look out there, and some people, God's in control. And he'd be like, please, if I were in control, it wouldn't look like this. I actually want you to let me be in control of you. If you let me be in control of you, then I will be in control for real. And you won't use it as a mantra to get out of responsibility in faith. You actually let me tell you what to do, and you'll do it, even though you can't see how it's going to work, and it seems like a bad idea, then I will be in control, and I'll manifest my presence on the earth, and the earth won't look like this at all. It'll actually start to look like Israel did under David, because that's what David did. David let God be in control of David, and everybody's like, David, kill Saul. He's like, no, That that would defeat the entire thing that we're working for here, guys. I'm actually wanting God to come and be king. And when I get to be king, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a tabernacle that we're going to worship in 24-7 because God is enthroned in the praises of the people Israel. I don't want to be king. I've learned to not want it. I actually want to be a Levite, is what he would say. But I can't. I've got to wait. And David, he's going to have, if you look, Ezekiel 48 to, or 45 to 40, 48-ish, you're going to see there's a place carved out for the prince right next to Jesus' throne. David is the prince. Ezekiel interprets David to be the prince really clearly. David is going to be king of Israel forever, according to 1 Chronicles 29. He said it to his whole family, even though he was about to die. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Psalm 72 lays it out. Psalm 72, it says the Psalm of Solomon, but it's actually David's last words if you read it to the end. And you find out David did everything David did because he had a vision of being close to God forever. That's what he wanted, to be close to God forever. That's a Levite position. He'd be like, but you're a king. You could be a king. You could have your own dominion. He's like, I'm going to cast that crown down. I just want to be a priest. You see what I'm saying? Now, can you be a worshiper right now? Is there a priesthood of the believer right now? Yes. You're invited to that right now, but you're tempted, if you're a human being, to want more authority, more governmental authority, want to be more important, more impactful, more leaderly. He'd be like, but you impact my heart right now. If you'll wait with me, We'll do all that together. But do you want the order of the kingdom? Do you want the antiphony of the kingdom? Now, the way that you practically know this is happening, at least this is the way I practically know it's happening, is when I see things happening, I want to jump into all of them. I want to actually be a part of all of them. I feel like I'd be good, or maybe I want to try all the things, and I don't recognize that what God's actually trying to do is teach me self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, to teach me humility, to teach me to wait. To teach me that God's going to get all the glory. That no man could really know all this stuff. It wouldn't be real. That I actually need to decrease while he increases. Who said that? John the Baptist. He was preparing the way for Israel to see Jesus by his decrease. Now, it's great to hear about somebody else's decrease. You're like, that was great, John. But when it's your decrease, you tend to not hear it. You're like, yeah, we should all be decreasing. You're like, oh, me. I should be decreasing right now I just started <laughs> should I be decreasing right now I just got started and he's like you're started in a decrease that was where you should have started in the first place but I'm just learning how to do all this stuff but yes but if you'll trust me I'll show you I never wanted you to do all this stuff I wanted to do this stuff through you right so God's waiting for the earth to embrace the order of harmony or antiphony. Now, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're related to each other. There is no harmony without antiphony. You actually can't get harmony unless you time and coordinate order, right, patience, and music. You can't get harmony unless you have antiphony. If you're just kind of trying to do your thing your way and hope it melds itself with something else, it will never sound quite right. You can get it close. But to have true harmony... You actually have to be, it has to be organic. You have to be growing together, okay, musically. I'm talking about a music thing. I mean, if you're, not, if you're not a musician, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you are, you do, and there's some musicians here. Okay, so God's waiting for the earth to embrace the order of harmony and tiffany. Now, the main enemy of harmony and tiffany in people that are sincerely in love with Jesus, the main enemy is shame, I want to tell you right now. You get... Really tunnel vision because you're afraid that you're not adequate, you don't measure up, so you just kind of try to do your thing, not paying attention to what's going on around you. That's the flesh. You actually have to be willing to be vulnerable, not be good, and be like, okay, I want the order. I want the order. This is what David was doing with David's tabernacle. Nobody gave David blueprints for the tabernacle except for God. He had to accept him in faith, and he had to trust that even though it seemed crazy to everybody else, it would work, and it did. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. We're actually supposed to be a people that put the shame aside, despising the shame is the way it says it about Jesus. You know, Jesus, he actually came as a baby. Now, just imagine if you had all this glory like Jesus, you're sitting at the, you know, in the, the triune nature of God. You're, you are God. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go down there and put on flesh and, you know, make messy diapers. And wouldn't that be like, that's so shameful. But he despised the shame, and he did it. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, if I just, you know, forget about all of the performance, and I just kind of get into the trying to learn this order thing, it, like, might be so messy. God's like, do what I said. Do what I said. The cross was messy. I'm not talking about the blood. The cross was messy. And his emotions. He's crying blood. He's sweating blood in Gethsemane. The cross was messy. So I guess I am talking about blood. Psalm 23, 22, 1 to 3. To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talking about the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is Antiphany. What I'm, what I'm describing to you is Antiphany. Who is Jesus talking to and waiting for a response from? The father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does he get? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I, am not, and I am not silent. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting crying out to God and not heard anything come back? Can you stay in the antiphony of it? That's what Jesus was doing. He was saying in the antiphony of it, even though it seemed as though nothing was happening. This is the point of us coming here. It's not to make sure it all gets out here, us talking to each other. It's actually to pray. It's to talk to God. It's not to explain to one another all the things that we think God should do in the world. It's for God to speak to us and we're supposed to wait for Him. He's waiting for us right now. He's been waiting for me for 49 years. And he's still got some waiting to do, unfortunately. I wish he did. I wish he didn't have to wait anymore. But there, I can't change myself. He's got to change me. So I cry in the day. I cry in the night. And that's Antiphany. That's the beginning of Antiphony. Do you see what I'm saying? If that's the beginning of your Antiphany, he will lead you into harmony with all the people that want Antiphony around you. But if your version of Antiphony is, okay, Sam, you and I got to coordinate this thing, get this back and forth, because we know it's in here. Let's just try to time it. Where's God in that? Where's the waiting? Where's the heart change in that? So the antiphony has to start with the Father's government, the kingdom of God, okay? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I'm not silent, but you are holy, everybody say holy, Enthroned on the praises of Israel. What he's saying is, you know what you're doing, I'll wait for you. You're king. You are king of this thing. To not have God's rule is confusion, And ultimately, loneliness and torment. You will end up, if you're selfish, what I'm saying is if you're selfish, you will end up all alone. Because that's what you want. Selfish people literally want themselves to be kind of running everything, in charge of everything, taking care of everything, fixing everything. They think they're serving everyone, but they end up alone. You don't want that to happen to you. You actually want to submit yourself to the order, the antiphony, the government of God. And he will gather you to the wheat. That's Babylon. To not have God's rule is Babylon, and Babylon means literally confusion. Now, Antiphany reveals the infinite glory of God, item three, should be two. And it will take everyone looking and declaring forever to reveal the infinite beauty of God. It will take literally all of us forever looking as much as we can. The seraphim are covered with eyes. They have eyes on their wings, eyes on their legs, eyes on their bodies. Day and night, they do not rest saying, holy, holy, holy. And they do that forever because they get to. Not because they have to. They get to. The more you can see, the more you're going to want to see. Glory to glory. Strength to strength. And Tiffany will open your eyes, not close them. It's just the flesh is terrified. If I don't get all the opportunity I can right now, I'll miss it. And God's like, that was the original sin. That's the thing we're fighting against. So if I'm like, okay, I guess I'll come. I'll do less than I know I could because I want to see. Then you'll see more it'll become beautiful, it'll become glorious, and you'll actually be more enjoyable for the people around you. 2 Chronicles 20, 21 to 22. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. Who am I talking about? Does anybody know this story? Second Chronicles 20, 20 is a lot of times you hear it. Who is this? Jehoshaphat. And he wins. Nice. I got to look it up, and he knew it. Okay, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. This is talking about seeing antiphany and order, governmental authority, governmental power. And we're saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon. Who set the ambushes? Why? Well, because he's king of that camp. They made him king of the camp. They actually agreed with his antiphonal governmental order. And it was like, it doesn't make any sense to have the singers say the first thing. How about if the army guys are like, there's the threat. And the singers are like, we're going to do what God said, right? Jehoshaphat, like he agreed with the prophet. There was Antiphony, And it turned out that the army didn't even have to fight. The enemy armies fought themselves because God set ambushes. Where was the Antiphony? Was it between the singers and the army? No, it was with the singers and God, right? When you're under pressure, do you feel like you've got a lot of time for you and God to have a little worship session? No. But that's what he's training us to do right now. The pressure's going to increase. The prayer movement's also going to increase. But it's not going to increase in disorder and lawlessness and confusion and the strength of man and trying to clamp down on everything so we can get this thing going. That's the satanic order. There's two worship movements that emerge in the end times. There's the Babylon night and day worship movement, and then there's the Jesus Christ night and day worship movement. One of them is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The other one's going to be impatient, arguing, taking, not waiting, right? You don't want to be a part of that one. They're going to look kind of the same. There's going to be false signs and lying wonders in one, and then there's going to be people changing in the other. You want to be in the one where people are changing. There'll still be signs and wonders. But you want to be in the one where you understand why they're happening. Okay? That's way different. Now, when they began to sing to praise the Lord, the Lord said, Ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Man was made to experience the infinite beauty and majesty of God. You weren't actually made to kind of sit in empty rooms and wait for something that you can't see. You weren't made for that. That's a, that's a cost of the fall. That's part of the curse. You were made to see the beauty of God forever. And that's really what we should come here expecting to do and trying to do is see the beauty of God. Not get God to move and do a bunch of stuff on the earth. He will, though. He will. So don't be confused about the effectiveness of it. It just won't look that effective. It's like Mary and Martha. Martha's spinning around the room, but she's not really looking at the beauty of the man that's in the room. Mary's looking at the beauty of the man. and She gets an inheritance of impact forever. We still know about her, right? We know what she did. And Tiffany... It reflects our, uh, man was made to experience the infinite beauty and majesty of God, but our capacity is finite. And kind of said that a few times already. So that's the point of the antiphony is you can only see so much. So the picture and and the the passages in the notes is of the seraphim. In in Revelation 4, we see the seraphim, they have six wings. They cry out, holy, holy, holy. But you have to connect that to Isaiah 6 and you find out what the wings do. With two wings, they fly. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they cover their eyes. Every time they get a glimpse of God's beauty, they cry out holy and they cover their eyes. They can't take that much of God's infinite glory. Have you ever experienced this? You ever had an encounter with God and you pulled away first? I guarantee you pulled away first. That's a real encounter with God. When you pulled away first. You didn't even really probably know what it meant at first. And you're like, wow. This is a real encounter with God. This is what we're going for. So our capacity is finite and it's intended to be. Because he's uncreated, and we're created. Antiphony reflects our acceptance and recognition of our own humanity. Is it good to be a human? Yes. He said it was very good, actually, for you to be a human. It's very good for you to be weak. It's very good for you to be dust without him. He said that's very good. Do you feel good about your weakness, your insufficiency? Do you feel good about your lack of ability? Do you feel good about your very small capacity? You feel good about the fact you can't remember stuff, you let stuff go, you fail here. That's human. You met any humans that aren't like that? That's human. But most of us want to be God. We just want to be perfect, we don't want to not fail, we want to do it all right. That's antichrist. Nobody, it's not true. He likes our weakness, okay? He likes our finite nature. So Antiphony, just being willing to learn. Now, nobody was born liking Antiphony. And he, 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 our uh, soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Caitlin, she's going to be a teacher. And she's like, she kind of wanted to get the younger kids, you know. But she spends a lot of time with kids. And I'm sure she could tell us as well as anybody else. You get a bunch of kids in the room. They're all like kind of taking turns waiting to hear what the other one's got to say. And that's a great idea. Kids just like want to talk. They want to be heard. They're ah! You weren't born loving antiphony. You come to church to learn antiphony. It's the only place really you can do it. Does the world value antiphony? It says it does. This republic was actually kind of formed by people that kind of wanted antiphony. But as people grow more selfish, the republic can't be kept. And that's, what, that's actually what Benjamin Franklin said. You got a republic if you can keep it. But you can't keep it selfish. You actually have to learn selflessness and to value other people's ideas and opinions. You have to. The Lord, help us. Help me to value ideas and opinions that I didn't generate Okay, so Antiphony reflects our acceptance and recognition of our own humanity, weakness, and limitations. Webster Miriam defines Antiphony like this. It's a noun. Uh, or Antiphonese is the plural. Alternate or responsive singing by a choir in two divisions: a psalm, a verse, so sung, antiphon. Now, the only examples you're gonna find of Antiphony are literally in the Bible. That's the, the idea of Antiphony comes from David's tabernacle, It comes from the Psalms and, and from Israel. Like this idea that there is some some responsive community relationship with God where God doesn't actually demand stuff from his subjects. He's trying to give stuff to his subjects. He's the only God that's like that. Every other false God just has to be propped up, has to demand in order to survive. And God's the exact opposite. He's like, I'm trying to be your dad. Will you let me? I want to give you stuff. And that antiphony opens the heart to receive. So one accord is a musical term for harmony. Anybody ever heard the, the idea of one accord before? Where do we find that? Like what, what passage comes to mind? You're like, one accord, that is Acts what? Acts 2, yes. What, what got them in one accord? The Spirit, waiting in the upper room, right? 10 days. Everybody say 10. In the Bible, 10 is symbolic of testing, always. Daniel and his friends, how long did they Fast. 10 days, right? When Nebuchadnezzar was feeding everybody great stuff, Daniel and his friends were like, no, test us for 10 days the, to, the, to the steward. Test us for 10 days. See, if, see what we look like in 10 days. 10 is, is symbolic of testing in the Bible. And so when we see this, we understand that the 10 days they were being tested to find out, do you guys now want the order of God? Because were they real ordered before that? No, they were trying to get to the top, right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their, their mom went to Jesus. and like, hey, let us sit at your right and your left. They are arguing about greatness. Like they, all kinds of disorder and chaos and confusion because they just wanted more. and They thought they were supposed to. So if you think you're supposed to, don't be surprised. Jesus is training us out of it. There's not some good people that were like, I always knew I wasn't supposed to want more. But that's no people. That's just crazy. Everybody. I mean, you, know, you spend time with kids, you know this is true. So one accord is a musical term for harmony, Webster Merriam definition of harmony, the combination of simultaneous musical notes in a chord, the structure of music with respect to the composition and progression of chords, a song with complicated harmonies and rhythms, the science of the structure, relation, and re- progression of chords, a uh, pleasing arrangement of parts. Do you think it pleases God when we are li- when we're operating in antiphony when we're waiting for each other? I mean, wouldn't that please you as a parent? Your kids were like, hey. Let's hear what my brother's got to say. I'd be like, dude, we're all going to get pizza right now. Good job. You pass. An interweaving of different accounts into a single narrative. Anybody heard of parts of the Bible that are like, a bunch of different people saw something, but it's actually one narrative called one thing with a G? Gospel, right? Four gospels all telling one story interwoven into one narrative. That's the the entire Bible is antiphonal. All the prophets are antiphonal. We talked about that last time. The whole Bible is antiphonal. It's all telling about the story of one man. Who's the one man? Jesus. He, because he is the focal point of reconnecting what was broken. That's why the Bible is about him. Because he is the, the focal point. He's the one desire. We have many voices, but we're supposed to have one desire. And if we do, he'll make us one body. Okay? He said, make them one, Father. He prayed for it. So we're supposed to have Antiphony with him, with the Father in that. Father, make us one. Make us one. Now, we could talk to each other. Let's be one. What's that? What's that called? Let's be one. Babylon. One language, one speech. Let us build. Let us do. Let us. You don't want that. That won't work. The systematic arrangement of parallel literary passages, as of the Gospels, this is from Webster's Miriam, for the purpose of showing agreement or harmony. Okay, so Harmony and antiphony they're related to each other this way. The Tabernacle of David is primarily about government and order, not prayer and music. I'm going to say that one more time. The Tabernacle of David is primarily about order and government. We should be coming here looking for who's in authority. And there's many people in authority, tons. There should be. We should all actually be in authority. When we mature, we'll all be in authority over something. We should be looking for authority, and we should be looking for the order. Okay? Not prayer and music. It's really not about that, though that is the context that it happens in. Prayer and worship is the environment to learn order, but learning order is the point. Okay? Now I want to read you a couple of passages that emphasize this idea, because I don't want you to take my word for that. Isaiah 9, 7. Now, who's Isaiah 9 talking about? Anybody know? Jesus. It's a prophetic passage about Jesus. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When will Jesus' government become less ordered? Never. It's becoming more ordered all the time. Are you part of Jesus' government? So, should you become, be becoming more ordered? Elijah, should you be becoming more ordered? Yeah, that's good ass. good. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Wait, there's no end. This is an infinitely growing, ordered throne over David? Like, isn't David dead? Why? Why over David? Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom? Because David was the man after God's heart. Do you believe that in faith? Do you believe the things that David did please God? If you do, then you'll do them too. You actually find out why. Why? Why did he do this strange thing that nobody else had done? Why did he make decisions for his own decrease instead of his own increase? And why did God elevate him? And why is um, God sitting on a man's throne? Why? To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. The reason is because of love. I just want to give you the cliff notes, run to the end version. It's because of love. It's because of the voluntary nature of God's leadership. God will not lead anyone that doesn't want him to. The other option for not having God lead you is called the lake of fire. It's existence without life. It's burning. It's consuming. It's hunger undying. Unending hunger, unending thirst, unending need, unending want, unending quest for power that's never satisfied. Who does that sound like? Satan. It was made for Satan and the angels that rebelled. So if you don't want the order of God, that's what you want, but you don't realize it. We don't realize it. To order an establishment with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So David, the the whole point of me saying that was David set up a voluntary system to enthrone God on the praises of Israel. And we're supposed to recognize that that Jesus actually he led his disciples the exact same way. He's actually coming to rule and reign in the exact same way. He's actually it says that God he's not uh, slack he just desires that none perish. So we'd be like, God, this is taking a really long time for, you, for Jesus to come back. And he's like, I'm actually waiting for voluntary agreement on the earth about this thing, the tabernacle of David. I'm actually waiting for people to say, I'm going to church to learn order, not so that it seems good to me. And we get a bunch of people together, big numbers, and go take over the world. He's actually, I mean, this has been a church problem since the church started. He's looking for the end time generation. It's like, I'm actually coming here to get ordered, to get broken, resurrected changed in my thinking, that I see the cross as victory. How many people do you think in world history see the cross as victory? None naturally. It's only those that repent into it that can see the cross as victory, and I want to tell you, if you don't have a cross, you don't have Jesus, and you want one, and you want to see this victory. That's what the tabernacle of David is actually supposed to do. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Who will perform this increase of Jesus' government and the peace that it comes with and the no end to it? Who will perform it? The Lord of hosts, right? So we can dial down. We can actually, hey, it's his responsibility to make sure this thing grows and gets more ordered. I just want it. I'm unwilling to say I'm a problem to the order of God. Are you a problem to the order of God? Yes, the answer is yes. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be. In Isaiah 16, 5, in mercy, I'm say mercy the throne will be established. What does that mean? In mercy, the throne will be established. It means he's actually willing to do it, even though we don't deserve it. He's actually willing to take the willing who recognize they need a doctor. And he's like, in mercy, we'll establish this throne. I will actually do it with you, even though you don't deserve it because you recognize you don't. But all the people who are like, I don't need a doctor. He's like, I didn't actually come for you. I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I came for those that need mercy. Anybody here need mercy? Good, then you need, you're going to get the throne. And one will sit on it in truth, in the tabernacle of David. Where's Jesus' throne going to be? In the tabernacle of David. It says it right here real clear, Isaiah 16:5. In mercy, the throne will be established. That's God's throne. One, capital O in the New King James, will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. This one verse, this one verse, Isaiah 16, 5, should it be enough for the entire church to care about the tabernacle of David and actually getting ready to sit in one, right? If that's where his throne's going to be, then shouldn't our entire focus be on how do I get into that thing? Not how do I drive across town and walk into Lighthop. How do I get into the order of the government that it was supposed to represent? How do I get into that thing? That's different. Okay. Now the flesh wars against this order in the tabernacle of David. When you step into a place that wants the order, your flesh starts to war against it because I want to tell you something. Where's the threat to Satan on the earth? It's in the tabernacle of David. It's in in anything that's going to enthrone God on the praises of his people. And so when you step into one, you got to recognize, I'm stepping into a war. Now, we mostly don't recognize the war. We think the war is like people with pitchforks or a bunch of arguing. That's not the war. Satan comes as an angel of light. The war is your own great ideas for how to do things in the flesh that are impatient and for God. That's the war. Now, the war manifests in lots of ways, but the primary way Satan comes is as an angel of light with great ideas about how to do this for God. Read the Bible. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again. The flesh wars against this order in the tabernacle of David. The way it happens is pride. Satan came, he tried to provoke Jesus to pride in that Luke passage that we were reading about the temptation of Jesus. Did he tell Jesus to do overtly satanic things? No, turn the stones into bread. You're the son of God. Show it. Wouldn't people love to see that? I mean, that'd get a bunch of people. Worship me. Cut out the cross. You want everybody to follow you? Do you want everybody to follow you to death? that's really what he was saying to Jesus. If everybody's going to follow you, are they going to follow you through this awful thing you don't even want? Or just come worship me. I'll give it to you easy, cheap. And then everybody that you care about will get it easy, cheap, too. Right? You don't want to give in to these ideas, these fleshy ideas. It's not cheap. It's not easy. It will destroy you. The, The tabernacle of David, it's on a threshing floor. It's intended to break you up and blow away everything that doesn't belong. It's on a threshing floor on purpose. You don't want the easy and cheap way. You don't want it to be cheap. You want it to be hard. Fear. Fear will actually get you out of the tabernacle of David. Impatience and waiting. Just, It's taking too long. We've got to get something going. Shame. Covering with our own good ideas things that seem to be unappealing to the flesh. And if you sit in a place where people don't know what they're doing, but they're trying to do it, it is uncomfortable, and you want to make it more appropriate looking. That's just human beings want that. We're supposed to reject that in repentance, recognizing, I can't actually get out of that. My mind works that way, but it's not okay with me. I want to repent into it. I need a doctor. Second Chronicles 26, 16 to 21. This is a story about somebody's fear and pride and actually their shame and them trying to do something they weren't supposed to do. So antiphany is the idea of, I do my part. It's small. It's weak. You do your part. It's small. It's weak. We got a great God. He's amazing. The way that Paul said it, he says, one plants, one waters. God makes it grow. We're supposed to be weak. We're supposed to be small. And he's like, you won't be forever. I'm just retraining you into the order of God. You're going to be increasing in unity with me forever. And if you really appreciated that, you wouldn't, you'd be willing to set aside the shame, take on the, you know, take on the thing like Jesus. I'm quoting that Philippians passage where it says that he came as man, but got a name above every other name. Second Chronicles 26, 16 to 21. This is talking about um, Uzziah, King Uzziah. But when he was strong in his heart, was lifted up, when did Uzziah fall? When everything was going great. When he felt like, man, this is really working. I think I'm figuring some of these things out. When he was strong in his heart, he was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Wait a second. He's got destruction by offering God incense? Doesn't it sound like everybody should be doing that? Shouldn't everybody be like, oh, you're holy, God, here, have this offering? No. God doesn't want our disordered worship. Uzziah wasn't supposed to do that. That was a priest job. Uzziah was a king. He just wanted more. And it'd be good. God should be worshipped. God does not want lawless worship. He'd rather not be worshipped than get lawless worship. Lawless worship is a lie. Selfish ambition, worship, that's not okay with God. That's not worship. It actually has to be, it's not my role right now. I'll wait. i wait on the Lord. And, and who else did this? Saul. Remember Saul? Wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice. Well, Samuel's taking too long, and all these people are watching. That's why Saul did it. All these people are waiting. You ever felt that pressure? I've tried a few times in meetings to have people sit silent for like one or two minutes Do you know how difficult that is? Because people are like, they're looking at you, and you're like, we're not doing anything. And there's nothing that will break your pride more than just sitting there doing nothing. Sackcloth is close. Close. He transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary for your trespass. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Did Uzziah listen? No, he was ashamed. As soon as that happened, he got offended, he got arrogant, he got prideful, he resisted them, and he got leprosy. He could never go in the temple again. Because you can't, if you're unclean, you can't go in the temple ever again. And until the day he died, he had leprosy. God tests the righteous. He expects the world to be in confusion and disorder, but those preparing for the kingdom need to be moved by the Spirit into order. He expects the world to be in disorder. Now, we mostly spend our time telling God how he needs to order an unordered world. Isn't that ridiculous? We're the ones with the Spirit inside of us. We're the ones that should be ordered. So we should be spending our time telling him, God, I am disordered in your house. That is not okay. Come change this man. I'm disordered at work, God. I represent you to my clients, and if I'm disordered, that's misrepresenting your kingdom. God, you've got to do something about this. I get afraid. I make choices that I wouldn't make if I wasn't afraid, God. Help me. I'm with my kids, I get worried that my kids are going to go off the rails, so I get disordered and the wary ones that I want to see the order of God. They're seeing something different. Change me, God. You see what I'm saying? God tests the righteous. He's saying these things to us because he likes us. If he didn't like us, we'd never hear these things. He would never want us to learn the order. He doesn't want lawless people learning the order. That's witchcraft, right? You start learning how to manipulate the heavenly realm, that's witchcraft. He wants us to actually be confident that we're hearing these things because he really, really likes us. He tests the righteous. Psalm 11, 4 to 5. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. What does that mean? His eyelids test the sons of men. That means, can I use you as an example, Noah? I'll be nice. That means if Noah, when Noah was a little kid, if I wanted to know, this is actually a story about me, not about Noah, but I'll use Noah because he's here. If I want, I want to know who's stealing the cookies out of the cookie jar, I'll act like I'm kind of sleeping and see what he does. His eyelids test the sons of men. God waits sometimes to see what you're going to do when he waits. No one ever stole any cookies. I did though, and I got caught. More than once. I just couldn't resist the cookies. So the Lord, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. It means he does not spend time actually training up people that don't want his leadership. He doesn't. You cannot try to do the order of the kingdom. You must yield to it. James 4, 1 to 5. And you actually know this passage. I'm not even going to read it. All the disorder, all of the fighting, all of this comes from trying to do something instead of asking and praying for it, asking and waiting for it. And when we ask for it, we're not supposed to ask for the order of God so that we can be elevated. We're supposed to ask for it so we can be broken down, so we can decrease. It's very hard to want to decrease. It's impossible for the human flesh to want to decrease. So we spend time actually looking at the people who have decreased. Who are some of the people that decreased? John the Baptist, Jesus, Elijah, Moses, David. I mean, David decreased in a massive way. Daniel. We look at them, we're like, I want to be like them, actually. God, why don't I feel like they felt? And then we let God change us, give us something we didn't have, okay? The Spirit's role is to order the kingdom. So that last verse, James 4, verse 5, we're almost done. Don't worry. Do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Speaking about, hey, all these arguments that you guys are having, they're having because you want stuff and you can't get it, and you won't ask God for it. Instead, you try to angle and manipulate to get it. He says, don't you know that the scripture says the spirit's jealous to do this for you? The spirit is actually jealous to order your meetings. The spirit is jealous to order you. The spirit is jealous to increase you. The spirit is jealous to give you authority. So the spirit's role is job is to order the kingdom. If we start doing it, and what I mean is manipulating our way into places or trying to get this thing or letting people know we can do this, hey, I'm available, let me do this, hey, you can't do it, I'll do it. Instead of, God, should I do it? God, what are we doing here? What is the point of me being here? I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. Then we have to understand the spirits of jealous that he do that. Because you have something in your heart that you want that he wants more than you do for you. But he wants to give it to you because it's the pleasure of God to be a dad. And the spirit is the power of the dad on the earth. He wants to do it. John 3, 5 to 8, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, everybody say spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't get yourself into the kingdom of God. It's impossible on purpose. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the order of the Spirit, it's not like the cornfield. You know, this is the great analogy. The order of the cornfield, that's the order that we would come up with. Okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. Let's stay in our lane. You know, that's the thing in the church. That's not the order of the Spirit. The order of the Spirit is you listen to me, you do what I say to do, and I will weave something together that's sustainable in life. It's the order of the forest. And yes, things will come down, things will grow up, but it will be the beauty of my design. It's what I want. It's what God wants, life, right? The cornfield's unsustainable. So this wind idea, it's God leading us in a way that we wouldn't lead ourselves. Now, God is testing the church to see if the church wants the order of heaven. That's the upper room. 10 is symbolic of, symbolic of testing. Daniel, et cetera, we already talked about that. God gives authority to those who embrace order by revelation. What I mean is, we're supposed to be a people that don't know where we fit. And then we let God tell us how we fit. And we do the small things that He tells us to do in faith, and we find over a course of time, He increases our authority. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way all the disciples operated, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. But this takes faith because you're going to see the wicked prosper, is what it says in Psalm 37. You're going to see people that don't care about order seemingly elevated for a minute. And he's like, you have to trust that I'm a good dad. You have to trust that I'm a good dad. No person can give you the thing God wants to give you. It's very tempting to hit your wagon to the nearest star. And God's like, that is Babylon. You'll just be an echo. You will never be a voice that way. You will just be Confined to what that other person thinks you should be saying, and then you'll never actually become a person of authority and revelation. Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Now, Jesus, at the same time, he told them, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. He actually got the thing Satan wanted him to shortcut, he got it on the cross. And then he wanted to give that authority to his disciples, but he said, Wait. Get the order first. If I give you the authority without the order, you work counter to the kingdom. And so they waited those 10 days. Now, when they got the authority, did they work counter to the kingdom? Mostly no. Sometimes yes. And we have to understand, we want to be, have the fear of the Lord about the outpouring of the Spirit. We want to have the fear of the Lord that if God poured out his Spirit on us as we are right now, there's a reason he hasn't, that we might not be under the order of God. That, I mean, most of the revivals that you see, Lakewood, Brownsville, most of these places, the church doesn't exist anymore. The pastor quit. A lot of the people don't even believe in the working of the Spirit anymore because there was no order that was valued when the Spirit was poured out. That doesn't mean that God didn't do amazing things. I value all these places. Don't get the wrong idea. What I'm saying is in the last days, his kingdom is going to come. It's not revival. It's reformation. It's resurrection. It's resurrection. of of the government of God, of the order. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. What things shouldn't be done decently and in order? None of them, right, good, all things. The first rebellion against God after the flood occurs at the Tower of Babel. We're not going to read any of these passages. You already know these stories. This is the unity of man, not man united to God, just man united to man hey, let's get together. Let's get something done. We've got the great idea. This one God likes because the most people seem to accept it. We've got some momentum. Let's do this thing. That is confusion, chaos, and not the order of God. Babel H894 equals Babylon or Babel. They're the same word. So sometimes you'll hear people say, well, Babel and Babylon are different. That's not true. They're actually the exact same Hebrew word. They both mean confusion. H894 interpreted both. When we impatiently and doubtfully try to worship God, it creates confusion because monophony and holiness are incompatible. One voice and holiness, one, one created voice and holiness are incompatible because selfishness and holiness are incompatible. And then I give you the Revelation 4 passage. Um, let's see. Smyrna and Steph, you want to come back up? Please. We read Revelation 4 fairly often, so I don't want to read that. I actually want to read 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 23 while these guys are getting set up. How is it, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Earlier today, Jen was uh, actually praying, you know, do we come here intentionally? Do we come here to be antiphonal? If you prepare to be antiphonal, it's very tempting to want to be monophonic. (laughs) Like if you prepare to bring something here, it's very tempting to want to get it all out. But that's not what Paul is teaching. He's teaching, come prepared because it's antiphony with God. You and he just exchanged relationship. But be willing to overflow into the meaning. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen but come because this is where intimacy with God is, right? The antiphony is supposed to be between us and God. So if we're really doing that, we always come here with something. But if we're really not doing this, then we got to grit our teeth and try and do this. And that's not okay with the Lord. But if you grit your teeth and do this, imagine the things you want to say here. What can happen is that you become monophonic. You just want to express everything. If you do this, the antiphony part, your heart's already satisfied before you walk in the room. I've touched this a few times in my life. It's mostly not my mode. Mostly my mode is getting something from the Lord, breaking away fast, wanting to get it all out. It is from the Lord, but I want to break away fast, get it all out. He wants to mature me to the point where I get satisfied here. And then if I come prepared and nothing happens, I'm still experiencing God. Does that make sense? So I want to read this to you. First Corinthians 14, 26 to 33. How is it then, brethren? Stand with me, if you will. Whenever you come together... Each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, at, or two or at the most three. Each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets you want this if you want a grace to be satisfied in god that's what i'm talking about and tiffany is about being satisfied in god he wants to release it. he's gonna he's, he's willing to give us an open door to get our hearts satisfied you got to say yes to the holy spirit in this room where there's a heart that wants you, you got to put inside of us a vision of being satisfied by you god that our heart would instruct us in the ninth season, that at your right hand are pleasures evermore, that the lions have fallen to us in pleasant places, that Psalm 16 reality, that at at the right hand of the Lord, there is joy forevermore, God, pour it into our hearts, that we'd live satisfied, that no stage could satisfy us, no mic could satisfy us, no people accepting us, no people giving us accolades, no family getting saved, no, no circumstance on the earth could satisfy us but you, God. Would you set yourself like a seal on us? Set yourself like a seal on our hearts, on our minds, our wills, our emotions. Fill us up, God, with who you are. God, I want to walk in this room, just tell I want to walk in this room satisfied, ready. I want to come here satisfied. I want to walk out even more satisfied. I want to operate free from manipulation, God, trying to get something. I just want to get free of it. I wasn't born free of it. I want to get free of it. Satisfy my heart, God. He will. In Jesus'